So I've been doing this here lately, right? And some of the sermons have come kind of easier. Some have been harder. I feel like this one has body slammed me three or four times. <laughs> and I was comforted. But what Brother J.C. taught in Sunday school was kind of built upon it. So I'm a little bit of a mess this morning, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> and, you know, last time I preached, I never did look at my notes. Uh, I just never opened them. This time, it'll probably be the opposite, because if I don't, I'll end up chasing rabbits. I have a lot to say and a lot to think about, but trying to get it down, I feel like, you know, Roy's got that big book, you know, that he has, and he has all the notes, and he didn't, that's what I feel like today, Roy. I feel like that. So... Um, we're going to start in John chapter 17. I want to start with just a, a principle that I think we need to understand in this before we go on into the, to the actual sermon today. John chapter 17, and we're going to look at verses 14 uh, through 20. John chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, and, and there's, a, there's a phrase, or a, uh, it's not the exact phrase, but it's a very similar phrase that's said over and over. In this, and it's seven times just during this part. And of course, this is the prayer that Christ is praying with his apostles in the upper room. It's a it's a precious thing. If this is one of those passages, John chapter seventeen, you need to read it every once in a while just to remind yourself. He's praying in particular for the apostles, but verse twenty. Not only do I pray for them, but I pray for us. So he's praying for us too. So in verse 14 it says I have given them thy word and thy word and excuse me I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them. Now in the United States for the most part we haven't been hated like in other countries. When I was younger I don't think it was hated at all. And now they're okay with it. But I think we're headed somewhere. I think we're headed somewhere. If you were born in Iran this verse might you know, if you were a Christian in China today, this, this verse might mean a little more to you if the world hated you. They hated, the apostles were hated because of this word. So, it's, keep going. Uh, because they are not of the world. That's the first time it's used. Even as I am not of the world, I pray not that thou shouldest, be, that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shalt keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You see a theme going here? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake shall I sanctify myself, that they might be sanctified through thy truth. This is the verse I mentioned earlier. Neither I pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You ever heard that phrase, to be in the world, but not of it? Right? This, I believe it comes from this passage uh, that they get that in the world, but not of it. We are sent into the world. Go need all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, but not of it. And it's becoming simpler. And simpler to me to not be of it. As this country gets worse and worse and worse, it's becoming easier not to be of it, in my opinion. And, and I'm an engineer, so numbers matter to me. And that should comfort you. I work on airplanes. Um, and so data, 
Data is very important. Opinions aren't that important to me. I, I listen to a lot of opinions. Everybody's got an opinion. But data is what's important. And I was looking at the data and it was just, it was taking me back. I handed an article to Christy the other day that came out of one of the little newspapers. Um, and I don't remember exactly what it said, but this data aligns with it. A Greece, a Gallup poll, this is in 2021, it says 81% of the people in the United States believe there is a God or a higher power. 81%. You think, well, that's pretty good. Data is important to me, not your opinion, <laughs> by the way. That's down 11 points from just 2011. In 2011, it was 92%. And, and what is happening is the 18 to 29-year-olds are dragging the data way down. The 18 to 29-year-olds are rejecting God. And it went from 81% down to, or excuse me, 92% down to 81%. In this data also, in the early 1990s, so I was graduated high school in 93. I'm getting old. <laughs> I am old. 90% uh, uh, of the people in the United States, 90% of the adults in the United States said they were Christians. 90%. Now, that would have included Catholics and all different things, right? But 90% of the United States would have claimed they were Christians. In 2007, 78%. In 2021, 64%. It's the same survey. And I want you to notice a pattern in the data. A 10% drop, 1% per year, in people that say there's a higher power. A 1% a drop every year in people that identify as Christians. 1% drop every year. Keep going. And by the way, when you see data going down one place, what do you see? It always goes up somewhere else. You know where it's going up? In the 18 to 29-year-olds, it's going up. Religion, None. None. I reject God. None. 29% as of 2021 say religion, none in this country. When just in 1990s, it was 10%. The data is showing something. 1% per year. When it comes to born-again Christians, Barna Research says now in 2021, 30%, 30% are born-again Christians. So that would be people like us. So zooming in. People that believe in God, people that are Christian, people that are born again. 30%. You know what it was in 2001? 50%. In 20 years, 1% drop every year. 1% drop. Is the data telling something? Is the data... Validate your feelings of how the world might be, the United States might be going the wrong way. Sam, you're 18. You just had a birthday, right? When you're 38 years old, if the data continues, how many people will be Christians? How many born-again Christians? 10. 10%. When Sam's 38 years old, only 10%, if the data continues, will be born-again Christians. If the data continues, only 40% will say they're Christian at all. And only 60% will even believe there's a higher power. Where are we headed? What's going on? I want you to turn with me because I think we need to ask. I mean, the question comes to mind, what do we do? 
As Christians, what do you do? What do you do with this? What do you... Uh, what are we to do with this, this information? Are we to get involved in politics? Are we to, you know, uh, secretly, I'll, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to pool all our money and go buy a thousand acres somewhere and live in the middle of it and just get out of it, right? But that's not what we're called to do, is it? It's not what we're called to do. Uh, and politics isn't the answer. There's a lot of different parties involved in the last... 1% drop per year. Did the parties change? Did the numbers change? No. It isn't politics. So what is it? And I think we should take an example from the scriptures. And we had a, a, a retreat this summer with the kids. And our, our theme was Daniel uh, taking a stand. I told Daniel, I said, he don't like when I preach. My son, Daniel. And, and I said, I'm going to say your name a lot today. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> so... Now, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the Daniel of the Bible. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 1, and I'm going to ask my helper to come up. Daniel chapter 1, and, and while my helper's coming up, um, I want you to just give a little background. You know, Israel, Israel had, uh, you know, of course, David and Saul and Solomon as kings, and Israel was one nation, right? Israel was one nation, and then they had a civil war, and they split. And they had Israel, the ten tribes, and you had Judah, the two tribes. And Israel uh, didn't, didn't have very good kings. They didn't follow the Lord. And they were annihilated by the Assyrians, and they're scattered. And what we pick up in the book of Daniel is about 300 years after that split. And it's Judah only. And you have Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon being the number one world power. And Nebuchadnezzar is in control of Israel at this time. And he has placed Jehoiakim, I don't know if that's how you say it, JC, but that's what I'm going to say, uh, Jehoiakim in charge. And, and he's over Israel, but Nebuchadnezzar's in charge. And he's put, and matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar handpicked him to be in charge, and he's, do what I say, Israel. And so we'll read, that's the background. Later, of course, Israel's destroyed, or Judah's destroyed. You want to read from here? You want to hear yours? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashaphaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of, king, of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. <clears throat> now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Milshiah and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel 
the name of Belteshazzar and to Hananiah of Shirach and to Mishael of Meshach and of Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your face worse likened than the children which, of our, which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. <clears throat> then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishaliah, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat, and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat of the portion of the king's meat. And thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pus as pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Heavenly Father, thank you for Daniel and... Thank you for protecting them in a strange land. In Jesus' name, amen. Last time, I had the kids read, and I asked for volunteers this time, and I only got one. So if if a kid is ever going to volunteer to be up here, I'm going to accept it. So thank you. Thank you, Zach. And when you look at Daniel chapter 1, I I think of the first verse is kind of like what a history book would read, Right? In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, Judah came, Nebuchadnezzar king, and they besieged it. Right? That's what the history book says. Verse 2, though, the first sentence, it's more of what God's perspective. Right? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord is the one that gave over Judah. It had nothing to do with Jehoiakim or, for that matter, anything other than the Lord's hand. And the, and the question you have to ask is why? Why was Judah 
God's people given over to Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king of Babylon. Why? And so I want you to move over to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 24, and, and see this. And maybe we can see the parallel between their day and our day. In 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, um, kind of gives the, reinforces what we just talked about. And then verses two and, or 3 and 4 give the reason of why. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 24, uh, verses 1 through 4. In the days, in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years. So in 608 BC, Nebuchadnezzar came in, took over Judah, but didn't destroy it, put his king, Jehoiakim, in place, and for three years it worked out okay. And then what happened after three years? Jehoiakim turned and rebelled against him in verse 1. Joachim is starting, it's not minding the boss anymore. And so Nebuchadnezzar came back. And verse 2, and the Lord sent, the Lord sent, the hand of God, you have to see here, sent the bands of Chaldeans and bands of, bands of Syrians and bands of Moabites and bands of the children of Ammon and sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by the servants of his prophets. Surely, verse 3, surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah. God did this. God gave his own people over to this wicked nation. God did it. To remove them out of his sight. Why? In this case, for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he did, and also for the innocent blood that he shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which God would not pardon. What were the sins of Manasseh? Manasseh. Who's Manasseh? Well, his dad was actually one of the good kings of Israel, of Judah. He was one of the good kings, and he put things back in order, and he got rid of the idols, and and kind of cleaned Israel up, if you will, as a good king. But his, his son was serving with him the whole time. Well, his son, he was the opposite. He was an evil king. Manasseh, when after his father died, he took over, brought all the idols back in, brought, the, brought idol worship back in, and, and Israel turned. So what was the idols? It was two main ones. One was Baal. What is Baal? God of. We got some rain last night, right? Wasn't it nice to get a little rain after the drought? Baal was like, what, what do you have? He had a thunderbolt, lightning bolt in his hand, right? He's God of weather. He's the environment. They were worshiping the God of weather, right? They were a farming community. Community. What, what else would you need other than rain for a farming community? Because rain brings crops. Crops bring money, 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 right? And so they were worshiping that, and they would do it by sacrificing animals, they, that was probably the stuff that they were feeding in the king's house to Daniel. That he said, I won't eat. And then the other one, uh, what is the other main one? Asherah. What is Asherah? The god of fertility. I don't even like talking about this. But as a farmer, you want your animals to be fertile. You want the ground to be fertile. But also your people. And how do you worship Asherah? Orgies. Prostitutes. Certain prostitutes and orgies. Sex. So you have these two things going on. You have 
the sins of Manasseh. The sins of Manasseh. He had, isn't it a good thing? And then he also had blood in the streets. Isn't it a good thing all those problems are gone? We don't have to deal with that no more. We don't have to deal with people being worshiping the environment. We don't have to worry about people worrying about money. We don't have to worry about any kind of sexual things. We don't have to worry about shedding innocent blood. It's the opposite, isn't it? Because of these things, it's why God gave them over. That's why God sent His judgment. Do we not face the same thing today in the United States? Is this not what we're seeing in the United States right now? And I want you to notice it isn't the world. We're, not, we're in the world, but not of it. I want you to notice it isn't the world that's doing these things that God's worried about. It's his people that are doing these things that God's worried about. And that's why he sends a judgment. In Isaiah 26, it basically talks about, I don't have it to where I can quote it, but it talks about he sends judgment so people will actually learn. Because when he sends grace, they don't learn. But he has to send judgment, and he sends judgment on Israel. If, uh, we'll go back to Daniel chapter, chapter 1, and we'll, we'll look at this a little further. You see that uh, they've, they've got things, uh, the, the uh, what do you call it, uh, pieces of uh, probably the tabernacle. And they take them back to their gods. And it's a sign to say, my God's better than your God, right? And they, and they also take back the best and the brightest of the young people, the young men. They take back those. And they're going to say, hey, you're going to be in this three-year program. We're going to put all the smartest, brightest, best-looking Hebrew children, and we're going to put them in this three-year program, and we're going to wipe away God. We're going to take, reprogram them. We're going to brainwash them. Does it sound familiar with our 18 to 29-year-olds that are completely brainwashed today? They have no idea what's going on. They're brainwashed. Religion, none. That's what Nebuchadnezzar in his plan wanted to do with these young men. He wanted to... God of Israel, none. They wanted him to... And so they, had to, they wanted, sent him to Chaldean school. And you see, they took them 800 miles away from their family, from their friends, from their places of worship, everything. 800 miles away. And what happens? They also give them meat from the king's table, promised them a job. That's what this world to do. This world will promise you, hey, if you do this, if you go to this, you do this, we'll promise you riches, we'll promise you fame, we'll promise you this, we'll promise you... The world has empty promises if you haven't figured that out. We are not of this world. The, they take them and, and you see that Daniel even gets a new name. They want all traces of God gone. Daniel meant God is my judge. God is my judge. What does Belshazzar mean? The name they gave him. Prince of Baal. Right? What about Hananiah? You know, the E-L in Daniel, that represents Elohim, right? And the A-I-I-A-H represents God. And, and so in each one of these names, uh, Hananiah means God is gracious. Uh, Shadrach is the name they gave him, illuminated by the sun god. Okay? They, uh, uh, Mishael, who is God? Who is as God is what his name means. But they gave him Meshach, I am nothing. Or who is like Venus or Asherah? Azariah, Lord is my helper is what that means. They want to take that name away too. They wanted all aspects of God gone. And they changed his name to Abednego, servant of Nego, another god. 
new identity, new names, new country, new everything. They wanted to brainwash these young men so the future of Israel is gone. And there's no doubt this plan Nebuchadnezzar had it was going to be a good plan. They're not only taking them and reprogramming, but they're also like hostages. Maybe Judah will behave if their best and brightest are over here, and if they don't behave, we'll kill them, right? So there's a little bit of hostage action, right? That's what uh, evil men do is they have hostages. And you say, are they really doing that to our young people? You know what they ask us at American Airlines to do? Put our pronouns on our signatures. What are my pronouns? I ain't doing it. And I'm not going to respect anybody else. You are. God made you a man. God made you a woman. And there's not a single man or woman that has a right to change that, including you. So they're trying to change our identities, aren't they? And I'm saying all this as, as to answer that question. And this is the introduction, if you will. What are we to do? What are we to do? Well, I think we can learn from Daniel. I think we can learn. Now, we're not Danielians. We're not serving Daniel. We're Christians. We serve Christ. But we can learn from Daniel. And we can learn. And there's three things that, I, that, I, that just stand out to me about Daniel. And in, the first one is in verse 8. In verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart. Was JC in that Sunday school lesson yes. about the heart? He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Of course, defiling himself means to make unclean and pure, corrupt the purity of it. And, and it was about the food. It was about the king's table. He has an all-you-can-eat at the king's buffet, if you will, and he said, I'm not going to eat it. He purposed in his heart that I was not going to eat it, that he was not going to eat it. And I want you to understand the food, it wasn't that the food would have made him sick. It wasn't the food was bad food. It was what kind of food or what is it? It's not a physical thing. It was a spiritual stand. It was a spiritual thing. See, because most likely the food wasn't kosher. It might have been pork. Right? That's one thing. How it was prepared. Number two, it might have been sacrificed to idols. It might have been blood sacrificed to the god of Baal, little g-god of Baal. Or it might have just been the fact that when you eat with someone, when you sit down with fellowship with someone, you're agreeing with them. I think all three of those reasons are the reasons why Daniel said, I will not defile myself. In this, but I want you to notice that he purposed in his heart, and uh, you can look into Matthew chapter fifteen, verse eleven. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you; it's what cometh out. So we know it's not just eating the food was the problem; it was a spiritual reason. There was, there was a reason there. So what does it mean to purpose in your heart? And let's go to Romans chapter twelve, Romans chapter twelve, verse two, and this is what I think of, and I. And this is Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 2. So you have to, before you face the trial, before you face something, you have to have purposed something in your heart on how you're going to face it. Before they say, 
to your child or, or to someone in here, here, here's a beer. Or here, here's a cigarette. Or here's a drug. Or here's whatever. Before they face that, before that, you have need to have already purposed in your heart what you're going to say. Or what you're going to do. Or how you're going to react. And Daniel had done that. He had purposed in his heart what he was going to do about these things. See, he's not protesting. He didn't start a protest to say, I'm, no, I'm going to go back to Israel. I'm going to walk 800 miles back and they'll just kill me or whatever. Daniel's complying with what's going on here. But he purposed in his heart certain things that he's not going to defile himself in. See, we're in the world but not of it. And the Lord may put us everywhere. I think of veterans of foreign wars. I mean, some of the places our people in the United States, Christians, are put into in the middle of battle. or You don't know where you're going to be. God may put you in all kinds of situations, but it's the same. You're to be the same Christian no matter where you are, no matter what situation. And so Daniel purposed in his heart. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, if you're not being... Well, let me explain this first. I'm running way out of time. Wow, that clock is flying. I've only got to point one, and I've got three. <laughs> so, so, wow. Um, so, when you have... Conforming. Conforming is where you are being conformed by the outside world. So if you say, if somebody hands you a beer and says, here, have a beer, say, no, my daddy said not to. That is a conforming message. That is a message that is a conform. Or if you say, do this or do that, well, the world said to do it. Or you get your right and wrong based upon the world. It's the outside influence. The outside influence conforms you. The inside influence is transforming. That's the inside influence. There's a big difference between here's a beer, what are you going to do, saying, I will not defile myself with this. I, in my heart, I purposed, I'm not going to do it. That's a big difference between, I don't want daddy to find out, or I want so-and-so to find out. They were transformed. And when you're, and let me tell you something, at all times, you're either being transformed or conformed. All times. The world's either conforming you, or you're being transformed. And the only way to transform is right here. The Word of God. You need to be in it. You need to understand what it says. You need to be in it all the time and renewing your mind constantly being transformed by the Word of God. Otherwise, in that spot where you're not in the Word of God, you're being conformed by the world. It's just on you, on you, on you, on you. Wanting you to pick your pronouns or whatever. So number two, you need to Stand. Daniel took a stand. He said, I will not defile myself. And it seems like there's two kind of Christians in the world today. It's either the ones that hide, they're undercover. You don't even know they're a Christian. Or they're the ones that want to go out and fight, right? And they put some of the weirdest things on Facebook or whatever. And it's like, wow, why did you put that? Who would think you're a Christian if you put that? And and you think about in Romans, and I'll have to skip, in Romans 13, 1 through 3, you see Paul saying you need to be subject to your masters. You need to be subject to your masters. And, 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 and by the way, who was their leader at that time? Nero. What is Nero famous for? Burning Christians. And he's still saying be subject to them. It doesn't matter who our president is. 
doesn't matter who your mayor is or who your mom or dad or whoever it is. Be subject to your leaders. Whoever God put over you, your bosses at work, whatever, be subject to them. And uh, 1 Peter 2.17 and 18, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only the good and gentle, not only the good ones, but also the forward. Some people have no, they just don't want anything with authority. They reject all authority. And I say all this because there's a difference between fighting the world, which we're not part of, and standing for God. There's a big difference between those two. And Daniel stood for God. He didn't fight the world. He did it in such a way, if you look at that, he grew in tender love and compassion with, with this prince of the eunuchs. Why did the, why did the prince of the eunuchs have favor and love to Daniel? Is it because he was out there protesting and, and causing a scene and, and uh, uh, Jews' lives matter and, and, having a, and burning the city? Or was he doing it in a loving way that that prince of the eunuchs came out and said, that guy's different. That guy's different. And he, and he did it in such a way that he said, look, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. Just give me 10 days. Just give us 10 days to not eat this food and just give us the vegetables. Just give us 10 days. There's a big difference between fighting the world, which we're not a part of, and standing for God. And, and Dan taught, uh, taught on this back in Ephesians. I can't skip this part. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. I think it's important to see this. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Be still. Stand at the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and rulers of darkness in this world. Do we have rulers of darkness in this world? Against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's getting higher, it seems. Wherefore, take upon you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. And having done all to Stand. Got the dagger still. That's right. It's even got the dagger, right? Remember the, I think you had this one, right? When you were preaching this. Or maybe that's Brother um, Reigns. I don't know whose that is. But remember, it's not an Excalibur. It's not an offensive sword. A dagger is a defensive sword. You're, so you're able to Stand. You're not fighting the world. Stand, therefore, having your loins gored about in truth. It continues to go. You quoted this the other day, Brother Roy. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer takes away wrath. You see the example of Daniel? Was Daniel taking a stand or was he fighting? He was taking a stand. First, he purposed in his heart that I'm not going to defile myself. And we need to take those opportunities. We need to understand as, as the world gets worse and worse and worse. And as this country, you're no longer the home team. I mean, they're tolerating Christians right now. It used to be they were Christians. And now they're tolerating Christians. At some point, there will be no more tolerance. So what are you going to do? Are you going to fight the world or are you going to stand for God? There's a difference. And Daniel stood. And the last thing is... Daniel acted. Daniel was a doer. Daniel was a doer. I, I, as much as I want to go buy that thousand acres and live in a compound with you guys and forget about all this, 
That's not what we're called to do. Daniel was a doer. In verse, uh, going back to Daniel chapter 1, Daniel acted. I say this every once in a while. I said to some men in the lobby after JC's lesson this morning, stay in your lane, right? Uh, There's so many of us that don't know what our lane is. See, God has a lane, and we have a lane. We have a responsibility for what we're supposed to do. I need to stay out of Roy's lane. I need to stay out of Miss Kay's lane. I need to stay out of God's lane. I need to do what I'm supposed to do. We're supposed to act in faith. We're supposed to be doers in our lanes, our role, our responsibilities. Daniel wasn't here to change and save Judah. He wasn't here to do that. He was there to become a Chaldean in the school of Chaldeans. And, and so that's what he's doing. He's, and he makes some stands and he makes a purpose in his heart to do things. But I want you to see in verse 15. Does 15 make any sense at all? Daniel chapter 1 verse 15. At the end of the 10 days his countenance was fair and fatter. I promise you that we could go on any diet we want. We're not going to be fatter when we're eating less. You're eating less. He's eating vegetables and water. If you put me on vegetables and water, I may not be able to stand up here. I need my meat. He was fair and fatter. Does that make any sense at all? But why? Because God. See, we need to be doers knowing that God is sovereign in control and that His promises are true. Does the Bible not say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you? Does that make sense that He's fair and fatter just eating vegetables and water? Why everybody else? I mean, I don't know that you could see a difference in just about anybody after 10 days of what they're eating. Unless it was like poison or something, but it wasn't. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only. You're deceiving yourself. Daniel was a doer. Daniel, when you look in um, verse 17, he gained knowledge and wisdom. You see, it wasn't the school system that was the problem. This was a terrible school. We can agree, right? It's a Chaldean school. Amen. But somehow Daniel was the best student there and, his, and, the, and the other three brethren. They were the best students there. And God gave them knowledge and learning. All the way to Nebuchadnezzar has the final exam where they all come to Nebuchadnezzar and they're all, all these Hebrew children. What about the other Hebrew children? You ever thought about them? What were they doing? Just existing. Doing what the world did. But there was a difference between Daniel and there was a difference between Hananiah and Michelle and Azariah. And when they stood before the king in all matters of wisdom, that means they were asking Daniel questions like, tell us about Baal. They weren't asking him about his God. They were asking him about their gods, their ways. And Daniel was ten times smarter, ten times better than everybody else. Ten times better? I've never been ten times better than anybody in anything. Wouldn't that be awesome to be better? <laughs> ten times better? Ten times better? Is that just because Daniel sat back and just didn't really do anything? Just kind of, well, I'll just kind of go along with the flow. No. 
He was a doer. He worked and he worked and he became ten times better. And it's, and it's not only in verse 21 where he was even until King Cyrus. King Cyrus, that was 70 some years later. That was after Nebuchadnezzar was defeated by the Medes and Persians. And he's still in the kingdom serving the king because he's that much better. He's a doer. God put him in that place. And of course, Israel's restored later. And, God, and, and look at what Daniel's done. Look, most of the prophecies, I think he was the first one that prophesied when the Messiah would come back. And all the end times prophecies. And, and, and through all, look at what Daniel, how God used him. Amen. Amen. But he used them in a terrible place. Would you want to be a prisoner, basically? 800 miles from home, no contact with them, given a new name, all this. I have a feeling that our young people, that's what they're going to face. The way it is going, that is what they're going to face. It's going to, they're going to have to be like Daniel. They need to purpose in their heart what they're going to do before the trial gets there. And they need to do it by renewing their mind in the Word of God. They need to take a stand and learn that they're not fighting the world. They're not out there battling the world. You're not going to make this world better. This world is dying. It's passing away, it says. It's not going to get better. But we have to be Christians within it. And we're not of it. When you think, think for a second about eternity... The amazing grace is 10,000 years later, right? 10,000 years later, what are you going to look back at your life here on earth and go, man, I'm sure glad I started that Jewish Lives Matter protest. Is that, you know, is that what you're going to think about? This world is not your home. Your home is to come. Your home is in heaven. And this world is passing away. We have something to do like Daniel. We have to be doers. We need to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We need to teach them and, and baptize them and, and those things. That's what we're to be about here. We're not to engage in fighting the world. We are we're victorious, victorious. We know that, right? We've read the end of the book. I'm out of time. I'm over. Are the promises of God true? Romans 8.28, we all know it. Is it true? Is it true? Why is it true? Because God is sovereign. Just like in Daniel's day, God, no matter what comes, no matter what trial comes, God is sovereign in it. And God will lead you through it. Stay in your lane. Do your part. Make a stand for God. Purpose in your heart what you're going to do and do it. And be a good Christian. You should be, the Christians should be the best employees. They should be the best students. They should, be, they should stand out everywhere they go. Just like Daniel did. We'll close with uh, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I told you it was a bit of a mess. I had too much to say. And I've skipped about half my notes. <laughs> so, about half of what I was going to say. Maybe I left out the good parts. I don't know. <laughs> First John chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 17. But I think we should read 15 and 16 for context. 
1 John chapter 2. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And I think in this country, in the United States, it's been hard not to love it. It's, 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 but it's, as I said earlier, it's becoming easier. It's becoming easier and easier not to love this place. I still want this place to be good. And, and remember, how do you, how would, if the United States was going to turn, if we were going to change those statistics to be plus one instead of negative one, what is it going to take? If my people, which are called by my name, right, humble themselves and repent, it's going to take God's people making a difference. The judgment is coming because of God's people, not. And the only thing that's going to change it is if God people, God's people do. But it, verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Remember, we're not of this world. Those things aren't for us. But verse 17, and the world passeth away. It is not because of global warming. It's not because of all the worldly things. The world passeth away because that's the way it was designed to be. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Doers abide forever. Daniel was a doer. And I think of this, and you know, we had this as our theme as the youth retreat, and we, we didn't quite get this deep in it, as to take a stand. Our young people need to take a stand. And, and I know the, the, the youth teachers like um, Roy and others, we're not just trying to give your kids some rules to follow. That's conforming. We're trying to show them the Word of God so they have transforming. We want to transform them. We don't. I mean, we want God to transform them. Let's put it that way. They need to be transformed. And they need to be purposed in their heart. So they can make a stand when it's time. Because it's coming. Well, they're going to have to make a stand more and more. I was blessed by Luke. Got sent to the office. Don't mind me telling this. Got sent to the office because they were teaching evolution. He said, I don't believe that. And the teacher said, well, you can go to the office then. So he did. That's what you got to do. Christians have got to take a stand. Even if it means you have to go to the office. It's okay. It'll make a difference. Let's pray. My gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the example of, that you've given us.